touchdown, Wisconsin. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Rhino Elbert Show, brought to you by Wisconsin Sports Heroics. Check them out on Facebook and on Twitter, at WiscoHeroics1, for all of your up-to-date analysis, breaking news, and everything else Wisconsin sports-related. I am your host, Rhino, and I am back with another episode. Um, Back after a week off, I had to take a week off because I was recovering from COVID. I did catch the virus. Uh, I was lucky enough not to get a severe version of it. I didn't really have too bad of symptoms, but... um, Yep, caught the COVID, and I am back now. I am I am healthy. I am back to normal. Uh, the only thing I'm really dealing with so far still is uh, the loss of taste, which is devastating because I made some, what I would like to assume as bomb pulled pork on Saturday, and I could not taste it. Girlfriend said it tasted delicious, but I unfortunately could not taste it. But I am lucky enough uh, to have only had minor symptoms. You know, others obviously have not been as lucky, so I, I am blessed. Make sure you're staying healthy out there and safe. While this pandemic is still wreaking havoc on America, so today's show we've got some some exciting things we're going to unpack. I'm going to go over Giannis's max contract with the Milwaukee Bucks and what that means to the city of Milwaukee, what that means to the Milwaukee Bucks, and what their future may be over the next couple of years. I'm going to touch base on the Green Bay Packers and their questionable game against the Carolina Panthers on Saturday. I mean, a win is a win, but we are going to try and unpack a little bit of that. And I will touch base on their Sunday night matchup against the Tennessee Titans. So buckle up and uh, let's have a great show. So we're going to start our show with the huge news that broke a week ago today. Uh, Probably the biggest news that Wisconsin sports has had in a long time, and that is Giannis signing the Supermax contract extension to stay with the Milwaukee Bucks. It is a five-year, $228 million extension, uh, largest deal in NBA history. And uh, this this has many implications, not just for Giannis, but the Milwaukee Bucks franchise and the city of Milwaukee as a whole. Um, I'd like to just dive right into this, this contract and what exactly it means. Uh, for the city of Milwaukee, it, it means quite a bit. Obviously, um, for the next six years, you're going to have a lot of economic economic growth, especially around the the stadium district. Uh, once COVID starts to calm down and people are allowed back out in public again and businesses can open up, et cetera, et cetera, that downtown stadium district area is going to be booming uh, almost year round. Uh, definitely throughout the city or throughout the season, excuse me, which all NBA fans know is an extremely long time. It kind of almost seems like there's not an off season sometimes. Uh, but you can expect the stadium area, the bars, restaurants surrounding the stadium area to be packed on a uh, more consistent basis. Uh, that revenue stream to the city of, of Milwaukee means a lot, um, especially given that this contract extension will last for at least six years. Hopefully Giannis uh, decides to stay a little bit longer than that. Uh, as for the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, the implications are... Uh, they're, they're going to remain a relevant team for the next five to six years as long as Giannis stays healthy and as long as nothing happens over that next five years in terms of him being happy, you know, what have you. Uh, the, the Bucks should stay on the map as a pretty relevant team. Um, one, of those, one of those teams that gets that Christmas Day, New Year's Day game. Um, they're going to get the primetime slot on TNT, on ESPN. 
Uh, they're going to have those those premier matchups uh, in primetime against your Golden State Warriors, against your Los Angeles Lakers, against your Miami Heat. It should keep them relevant in the headlines. It should keep them relevant on your ESPNs and your Bleacher Reports, what have you. Uh, so that that does mean quite a bit to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, their revenue stream will remain high in terms of merchandise and jersey sales, t-shirt sales, you know, the whole nine. Now, in terms of what this means to Giannis, this th- there are many implications that surround Giannis as far as this contract is concerned. He is now being paid like the elite superstar he has played like over the last three seasons. So, there there is no more... Is Giannis elite discussion? Is Giannis one of the best players walking the planet? You you really can't have that discussion anymore because money talks. You're not going to pay a guy a quarter of a billion dollars if he isn't a top three player in the NBA. Now, the things that come along with that is the expectations will grow exponentially. Now, obviously, we've been expecting a... a NBA championship out of him for the last couple of years, but those expectations are reach far beyond the city of Milwaukee. There are people who are going to be looking at him, expecting him to to win year in and year out. Not just the fans of the Bucks, fans of the NBA in general, your national media pundits, your writers, your TV hosts, etc. He's getting paid to win. He's getting paid like one of the best he has to produce. Now, if he makes his way through this entire contract and he has not produced a championship, that is really going to hurt his legacy. I, I don't quite think the championship argument in terms of how great a player is is the best argument to make. Unfortunately, a player's greatness is always associated with winning, and I don't think that is 100% fair because a lot of people put way too much stock in the amount of championships, how well you did in, in, in you know getting your team there. It's a, it's a team sport. When I look at, for instance, when I look at the Jordan versus LeBron argument, I will go to the grave telling you that LeBron is a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. But a lot of people refuse to give him that credit because not only has he lost NBA championships, but he does not have the illustrious six, which I'm still not even sure why that's the magical number because there are players out there that have won more championships than than Jordan, but that's for a different debate. But for some reason, that holds a lot of water in the discussion of greatness. And that's fine. That's that's okay. I mean, you do play to win the game. So he is going to be judged on success and winning a lot more now that he has this contract. Now, this could obviously play out in his favor as well, because if he goes out in the next five, six years and wins a couple of rings, then there really isn't going to be an argument against Giannis's greatness. He would have fulfilled his end of the bargain, and that bargain is this contract. So uh, moving forward, looking at the 2020-2021 Bucks, what are they going to be? What kind of team can you expect on the court? I believe they're going to continue being one of, if not the best defensive teams in the NBA. They do lead the NBA over the last two seasons in defensive efficiency. Uh, they have won 116 games over the last two years. Now, you got to remember last year was a little bit of a shortened season. I believe it was 73 games, uh, as well as this upcoming season. This season is going to be 72 games. I do 
believe that they will be a 700 or better ball club. They've won, I believe it's right around 75% of the games over the last two seasons. I think it's 748 is their winning percentage. So 70% of the season right now would be, I believe, right around 50-51 games. You can expect this team to win 50-51 to games, and they should cruise through the first couple rounds of the playoffs. Now, the X factors for this Bucks team this upcoming season, obviously they have to continue shooting a high three-point percentage. That outside of Giannis's uh, penetration, outside of his disruption, their, their three-point percentage is their bread and butter. I mean, they're going to beat you with their three-point game. I believe that is a, a huge factor going forward. I also believe Giannis's free throw percentage, if he's going to be going to the line 15, 20, 25 times a game, his free throw percentage has to be higher. He can't be shooting 60, 65% from the line. He's got to be shooting somewhere close to 80, in between 70 and 85, 75 and 80%, excuse me. Uh, that will carry them a long way in the playoffs. And I, I really like where Chris Middleton's game is going. I believe last year was the best year of his entire career. He set career highs in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage. I mean, he was he was damn close to being a 50-40-90 guy. And what I mean by that is 50% field goal percentage, 40% from three, 90% from the line. That is a hell of a season. And I do believe that he could take that next step into quotation fingers superstar uh, realm. That's exactly what this team needs is a second guy that's going to be able to take over when Giannis falls, when he has an off night. Somebody that they can rely on outside of Giannis. Giannis cannot continue to be the only guy, the only thing that teams prep for. We have to have that other guy that steps up and is able to put the game on his shoulders. And I think Chris, as long as he continues to trend in the direction that he is, Chris can definitely be that guy. I mean, to, to continue my point about career highs, rebounds, assists, points per game, everything. His entire season last year was one giant career high. Now, I'm not going to say he's getting older because a lot of guys in the NBA right now are proving that age doesn't mean as much as it used to, but 28, 29 years old, when are we going to reach that peak of Chris? And then obviously his inevitable decline, I think we're about three, four more years away from that, which is good because I do believe his contract takes him through the 2024, 2025 season. Uh, 2023-2024 season. So we do have four more years of Giannis and Chris, and that's obviously without any kind of contract extension that Chris could potentially get in the next three or so years. So Giannis and Chris, they're obviously playing at, at the best of their game right now. Giannis obviously has, I'd say, six or seven more elite-level years, elite-level years left in him, and then three or four great years after that. I mean, he's only, I believe, what is he, 26, 25? Still a young cat. So... Uh, a lot of reasons to be positive, excited going forward with Milwaukee Bucks basketball. I think the next four to five years are going to be the greatest stretch this team has seen since the Kareem days. And I genuinely do believe that there is a championship in this team's future. All right, now moving forward with the Green Bay Packers and the Carolina Panthers game, I am debuting a new segment, which I would like to call the Clint Eastwood. Now that sound only means one thing. That is the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to give my good, bad, and ugly 
for the Carolina Panthers Packers game on Saturday night. We're going to start with the good. The good, I'm gonna, it's it's a tie for me with the good. Um, I I definitely wanted to try and pull a couple of positive points out of this game. It was really not the greatest game to watch, but a win is a win. Uh, however, we're going to continue on. Uh, the two goods that I pulled from this game were the defense and the run game. The defense held the Carolina Panthers to just 16 points. Um, they held the run game. This is this is what what really stood out to me. They held the run game to 115 yards. Now I I, I realize that they did not have Christian McCaffrey. He it looks like he's probably going to be done for the season. They do have an effective back in Mike Davis and a very mobile quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. He is not the same Teddy Bridgewater that he used to be when he played for Minnesota. However, he, he is a quarterback that can still tuck the ball in and run when he needs to. Um, but the defense did hold the Carolina Panthers to 115 yards rushing, and I believe it was about 4.3 yards per carry. They were not gashed by the big plays. I think the, the longest run the Panthers had was about 12 yards, uh, something the Packers have struggled with uh, quite a bit this season is is the the long run the the gashing type run so it was really good to see them shut down the the run game they also kept Teddy Bridgewater out of the uh, the end zone through the air they did not allow him to throw any any passing touchdowns and that huge turnover at the goal line which which prevented the Panthers from getting any points not just a touchdown but uh, the Packers were able to recover that fumble right before Teddy Bridgewater was was about to jump over the the uh, the, the end zone there. Uh, I thought the defense played great. Um, this is this is a continuing trend over the last three, four weeks that the defense has played uh, above their own average, which I believe is a huge sign going into January. If you can get that confidence in your defense, if you can get consistency in your defense, um, another thing that stood out, the pass rush, another good game by them, three sacks on Teddy Bridgewater, a total of six QB hits. Um, the other good from this game was our run game. Um, 195 yards total by the Packers rush offense. Uh, I believe they averaged about maybe a little bit less than seven and a half yards per carry. A couple of touchdowns, one by Jones and one by Rodgers. It's a really good sign when your run game can put the game on their back when the passing offense is having an off day, especially this offense in particular. Uh, I'm not going to say that the Packers live and die by their passing game. Obviously, they're a little bit more versatile than that, but when you do have an MVP candidate quarterback, one who's been lighting it up all season, it's it's almost assumed that Aaron Rodgers is going to beat you with his arm. So it's really good to see this team's ability to say, all right, the passing game is not working today. Let's pound the rock and get this done with. And that's exactly what they did on offense. They pounded the rock. Aaron Jones with 143 yards rushing. Another big week for him. Uh, the bad... You know, the the drop passes have really been a problem all year for Green Bay, and it's something that has plagued them almost every game. Uh, this time it was out of their star receiver, Devontae Adams. He had a couple of big drops, um, something you definitely do not want to see your number one have. Alan Lazard had another one there on the, on the sidelines that prevented a drive from continuing. Um, really got to clean up those drop passes. I mean, obviously they're inevitable. They're going to happen, but if you can limit them in the big situations for the big yard, the big gains, the big yardage plays, uh, that is something that, that they need to clean up going forward. Now the ugly, uh, aside from the game itself, the ugly, uh, execution. I mean, even, even with scoring on the first three drives that are just the, the execution did not seem like it, it was there, like it has been almost all year. And the lack of adjustments by Matt LaFleur is something 
I'm not going to say it's a concern going forward because he he has proven himself as one of the league's better coaches in just his two years alone in Green Bay. But he has shown a couple of times where he is unable to adjust to um, his offensive shortcomings in that particular game. Now, Carolina deployed a very good strategy against Green Bay. They did the exact same thing that Tampa did earlier in the season. It was a heavy pass rush and a lot of disruption at the line of scrimmage. Now, what kept this game from being a blowout in Carolina's favor like the Tampa game was, obviously Tampa's a much better team than Carolina is. They have a lot more weapons on both offense and defense. However, if Tampa developed the strategy, Carolina definitely exploited it in this game on Saturday. I mean, hopefully that is something that they can either adjust and overcome or they can chalk it up to being just a bad game on Saturday. But if they go into the playoffs and somebody watches the Carolina film, watches the Tampa Bay film, and they're unable to adjust to the same the same defensive strategy, they're in trouble. Because if their offense executes like they did on Saturday in January, they will lose to whoever the opponent is. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't see that being a problem. But I really would like to see Matt LaFleur's ability to adjust to a strong defensive front improve a little bit. Three points in the second half is unacceptable against a defense that's pretty mediocre. I mean, they're mid-tier in both yards allowed and points allowed. So it's not like Carolina has that shutdown defender or that elite pass rusher, you know, like a like a J.J. Watt in his prime or anything like that. I mean, this is a pretty mediocre defense. Now, yes, Carolina has played some good teams very tough this year. They played the Chiefs to a three-point game. They played the Saints to, I believe it was a three- or four-point game. I'm not saying that Carolina is a slouch by any means, but Green Bay should have performed better. They left a lot of points out on the field. It wasn't because Carolina was just shutting them down with all of their might. I mean, the the Packers were leaving the points on the field. The, The Panthers weren't taking them. The execution was off. The game plan was off. And it was just an off night. But I I would like to stay positive. I would like to say that this was just an off night for the Green Bay Packers. And it happens. Every championship-caliber team has an off night. I believe the Chiefs last year lost a couple games late down the stretch in between weeks 12 and 15, somewhere right around there. I mean, if you look at this franchise alone, in in 2010, they were 10-6. and In 96, when they won the Super Bowl, there were a couple games late down the stretch. I believe that same week 12 to week 15 stretch that the Packers may have lost one or two games there. Uh, So it happens. It, It definitely happens. And... You can't expect Aaron Rodgers to be godlike every single week. I mean, going into Saturday's game, he had been extremely consistent outside of that Tampa game. He hadn't had a bad game all year. Now, he did not look his greatest on Saturday. Yes, there were the drop passes. And yes, I believe the game plan wasn't executed as efficiently as it should have. But bad games happen. I do believe that they have a chance at rebounding quite well against the Tennessee Titans. Um, I think if they come out with with a, a heavy foot on the gas to start the game, they can keep Derrick Henry. I, I want to. I, I don't want to say sideline because he's going to be the focal point of that that Titans offense. But if they can make him a non-factor early, I believe that the Packers could have the same outcome as as the Cleveland Browns did. The Titans have absolutely no pass rush and they have no secondary. Their defense can be lit up with ease, and that's exactly what the Browns did. So I would like to say that the Packers should be able to 
comfortably have a nice rebound game against the Titans going into uh, Week 17 against the Bears. They should they should get that confidence right back up. I'm not going to put too much stock in this loss. It's just a bad game, and, and we're going to chalk it up to that. Now, I would like to touch on Aaron Jones for just a little bit. Um, obviously, another big game for him. Uh, during the week last week, he did fire his agent and sign with Drew Rosenhaus, which to me really signifies that he's probably going to hit the free agent market next year. I am one who subscribes to the theory that you should not pay running backs money. Now, I know that sounds a little cold. Everyone deserves to make a living, and that's fine. Somebody out there is going to pay Aaron Jones, and he deserves to be paid. But that's going to be a desperation move. Or if it's a team like the Jets who have, you know, an astronomically high amount of of, of uh, salary cap room next year, that's fine. But there are a lot of people on this Packers roster that are going to be deserving contract extensions coming up soon. You've got Corey Lindsley. You've got potentially Devontae Adams over the next season or two is going to want money. I believe he's more important than an Aaron Jones is. And the league has proven over the last five to six years that paying running backs elite league-leading money does not work. Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, Le'Veon Bell in New York. It, it handcuffs your team. And I think until the market starts to deflate a little bit for running backs, it's not worth it. Aaron Jones is a phenomenal running back, but this offense isn't based around Aaron Jones. I think next year, Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon would be an extremely serviceable backfield for this team, especially in year three of Matt LaFleur's offense. I think with the development of Alan Lazard and uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, that this, this offense can be just as high-powered, if not better, next year without Aaron Jones than it is this year. So I do believe that um, I do believe Aaron Jones is going to be gone. I, I unless he's willing to take a very very big hometown discount, I do not believe he will be a Green Bay Packer next year, and that's okay. I don't think this offense is going to struggle at all without him. I think I think the adjustments can be made and the development is there with these young players going into next year, where you probably won't even notice a difference that he's not there, other than the fact that you're not seeing a 33 run around in the back backfield. Uh, we're going to move on to the Tennessee Titans game next Sunday night. Week 16, the Green Bay Packers have the Tennessee Titans coming into town. As a, it is a Sunday night game, um, 7-20 kickoff with, uh, I believe it's Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth and the crew. Um, should be a gorgeous night in Green Bay, I believe. Last I checked, I believe it might be a little crisp, but I don't think they're in, in uh, any danger of severe weather. It should, should be a, a cold but calm night. Uh, in Green Bay. Now, I, I touched on this in the last segment, um, but we'll we'll expound on that a little bit more now. Obviously, at this point in the season, it's not if Derrick Henry re- it's it's not if it's how many yards he will get. I mean, he's obviously going to try and have the biggest game he can. A lot of people will say statistics don't really matter as much to players. I don't buy that in the slightest bit. He is only 321 yards away from. 2000 I believe he had to average something right around 158 154 over his final three games he got about a buck 45 last week I believe it was close to 150 uh, so if he continues the same trend he should be close to if not at 2,000 yards for the season I would like to believe that the Packers could be a bump in that road for him um, I, I said this earlier in the week to a couple colleagues of mine 
the best defensive strategy that the Packers can have for the Tennessee Titans going into Sunday night's game is a strong offensive strategy. What better way to make Derrick Henry irrelevant than to get a big league with, with your arm, your passing game, your strongest, your strongest factor on offense? Get Aaron Rodgers cooking right off the bat. Start, I mean, the, the game plan really needs to be focused on scoring quick and often. Now, obviously, scoring quick and often means they're going to have to make a stop on defense. If they drive, opening drive, 75, 80 yards in a couple of minutes, and the Titans get the ball back and they march downfield on a eight, nine-minute drive, then obviously that game plan gets thrown out the window. So defense is going to play a part in this. But if they come out aggressive and they come out attacking through the air, they're going to force Tennessee to match what you're doing. You're going to force Tennessee to try and regain control by throwing the ball, getting an even scoreboard, and then trying to beat you with the run game. I think Green Bay can accomplish this. They're playing one of the one of the more lackluster defenses in the in the NFL. I mean, there's really not a a better way to describe it. There's really nothing exciting about Tennessee's defense. They don't have that elite pass rusher. They don't have that elite shutdown corner. They don't have that big name middle linebacker. They really don't have any playmakers on defense that are playing at even a decent level right now. I mean, they're they're I believe it's 28th or 29th in passing defense. They're 27th in overall defense. They're allowing 25, 26 points per game. Uh, they're allowing, I believe it's right around 280 yards per game passing in the air. Only the Seahawks, Falcons, and Jets are worse than that. And, you know, obviously the Seahawks uh, are, are a completely different team than the Titans offensively, but they're going to give up points as long as you deploy the right strategy. I don't think that if if Green Bay tries to match Tennessee on the ground, they will not do it. Aaron Jones is a phenomenal back. I believe he's a top five back in the NFL, but you will not match the Titans running game with Aaron Aaron Jones in a run-first mentality. Uh, I believe what makes Aaron Jones most effective is the passing game. Derrick Henry is effective because of Derrick Henry. That's the difference between the two. Everyone and their brother knows what the Tennessee Titans are going to do to you on offense, and he still manages to do it. I mean, it, obviously that might be because he's 6'5 and you know 260 pounds of solid muscle, but regardless, make him a non-factor. Make him irrelevant. Force the Titans into matching what you're doing through the air. Ryan Tannehill has played phenomenal football, but he has shown that he cannot lead a game when the run game is irrelevant. He is effective after the pass. He has not really been effective before the pass. Derrick Henry sets him up, not the other way around. If they come out Sunday night and they're effective through the air and they are aggressive and they keep that foot on the gas, there's no reason to believe that the Packers cannot duplicate what the Cleveland Browns did to the Titans a couple of weeks ago, where, what was it, 38-3 to at halftime, 35-3, to something along those lines. One of the biggest blowouts in Cleveland Browns history in the first half. Keep that same energy. Keep that same aggression, and I would like to believe you'll have, you'll have the exact same results that the Cleveland Browns did. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the show today. Uh, make sure you check out the show on SoundCloud and on iTunes. I will be posting the show to Twitter. My Twitter page is at Sports Talk Rhino. Uh, check it out on Facebook. It'll be posted to uh, Wisconsin Sports Heroic Facebook page and 
the Wisco Sports One Twitter page as well. If you are listening out there, obviously somewhere in the SoundCloud sphere or iTunes sphere and you haven't followed the social media yet, those are the pages. Any uh, comments, questions, criticisms, concerns, you could reach me at Twitter, at Sports Talk Rhino, and uh, go Pack Go!